If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, this is Nicole Van Tassel with Ice for Science, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. So if you didn't listen last week, I shared how I teach text annotations to my students. Um, you can find the show notes there, although I will also link it in this one, the um, text annotation key that I use, as well as the rubric. Um, and honestly, text annotations are, it's a strategy, it's literally taking notes on a text that can be used with any science text. So whether it's the textbook um, or a curriculum, you know, blurb or article in your, your, I don't know, like a student workbook or anything like that, it works for everything, right? But one of the, um, I really love to use it on current events type of things or on science texts that are outside of my curriculum, like that that supplement my curriculum, but, um, you know, are not necessarily a textbook text. So I want to share a few of my favorite free literacy science resources. And if you are, I'm going to kind of run through the, what the, each of them are, as well as what you can kind of do with them or what I like about them. But you can find, I'm going to link to the blog post, um, where I have them all linked. And, um, so you can, you can actually find them there. Um, okay. So as well as like my kind of review of all of them or what I love about all of them. So one of the, and and some of them you've probably heard of, but I would bet there are a few that you, that will be new to you because I don't ever see anybody talking about them. (laughs) So one of the ones that falls into that category that is, I I stumbled across last year. Um, I've used a lot of their materials myself. Um, and I really love it. It is called Frontiers for Young Minds. So this is a website that takes real science articles that were written by scientists and it adapts them for student use. And what's kind of interesting is they actually have the um, materials reviewed by like real, you know, live young adults before publishing. So you know that it's it's not an adult saying this is the right level. It is a student saying like, yes, you've explained this in a way that makes sense to me. Um, but they cover like a huge variety of topics. So I've used the Frontiers for Young Minds to find kind of more obscure scientific studies and interesting maybe tangents that relate to my core concepts. But they also have 
a number of articles of just like they call them core concept articles that express concepts that you are going to very likely cover in your scope and sequence. So they have new discoveries that really spark curiosity or like can extend science learning. And they have um, those more like core concepts. And like even the core concepts are really um, expressing it in an interesting way. So like one of the core concepts, for example, is like, why are some plants hairy? Or, you know, what is good about blood? I also love that a lot of the articles, not everyone, but a lot of the articles are phrased as questions. So it kind of, you can kind of come back to it and be like, so what did, what did you guys, what's the answer, right? Um, Some of the new discovery examples are like, how do our brains change as we age? Or, um, or like, um, how do our brains remember social media and like studying memory and it's, I don't know, relationship with social media. Uh, So there's just, there's so many articles on so many different topics. And um, I also like that they actually, I mentioned, you know, they're reviewed by real kids, but the reviewers, they give you the ages of them. So you can understand, you know, is this, um, maybe it's a 15 year, the reviewer was maybe 15 and you're like, okay, well, I'm teaching 11 year olds. So maybe this article would be a little bit too difficult for them. Or you can see like a reviewer was 10. Okay, so I think that this article would be understandable to my, you know, 14-year-olds. Like it should be okay. So it's it's a really, really cool website. What I also like about it, so there's like so many things to like, but what I also like is that they have at the end of a lot of the articles, you'll see these like conflict of interest statements. And I just really like to and to point students out to that and then use that as an opportunity to discuss bias and our need to critically evaluate sources of information. Um, And we can talk about whether, you know, about that conflict of interest statement. Um, And honestly, I feel like most of the time I, it's, there's not a conflict of interest, but maybe in some of the articles there are, I don't know, maybe I haven't stumbled across those, but either way, the fact that they put it there is like an opening to talk about that. And there's also all of these like related articles section at the bottom of the post. So students can, if they're like reading one article, they can totally go into a related um, article that they could maybe pursue for independent learning. So it's kind of a way for students to, I don't know, find something else interesting to read. Like you could follow up one class activity with, okay, choose an article that you want to read now that relates to it. So Frontiers for Young Minds is like one of my new favorite, um, my new favorite sources um, or, or mater- places, you know, to find materials. Um, some of the some of the concepts are difficult to read and understand. And so you may want to adapt it to your students. Like maybe the article is perfectly good as it is, but maybe you, ch- you know, take out some chunks or you focus students in a couple specific areas of the text. Um, but it's just, it's a really good, it's a really good source. I really like it. Okay, so that is Frontiers for Young Minds. And next on the list is Science Journal for Kids and Teens. So I think, um, okay, so Science Journal for Kids and Teens has also been around a really long time. Um, I knew about it a long time ago, and it's one of those ones that I don't see it mentioned as much, but it also, it's, I mean, I I have known about it for several years, so it's been around for a while. Um, What I like about this, so you can totally, you can filter articles, um, so 
I guess first thing, I like that the questions are written as questions and all of the, it's very easy to sort through topics. So you can, when you first go to the website, you can sort through by scientific field. So there's like pollution, there's water resources, there's biodiversity and conservation, there's just straight up biology. You can also search by um, NGSS standard. And you can see which standards have like a ton of articles, which standards just have a couple, like literally just by pulling up that menu. I really love that. I think I said I like that they are all phrases, questions. You can also filter or search by reading level. So there's actually elementary resources here. There's lower high school, middle school, upper high school. So you can adapt it to like that reading level um, in terms of choosing your article. They also have... uh, they really focus on that cutting edge research. And so they have this short little succinct abstract at the beginning, which I really love when I'm introducing students to this idea of, you know, how scientific reports are written. I remember learning that when I got to college, like we would, we did our, like these independent science research projects. And it wasn't like this, it was kind of like a lab report, but it was, it wasn't, it was what scientists do when they, when they write a, a, an article for publication, right? You write your abstract. And I like bringing that into my classroom so students feel like they just have that authenticity to the to the reports that they do. Um, so I love that they have this, that in the article. And it helps me, one, it helps me choose if the article is going to be good for my curricular goals. It helps my students see what a real scientific like article and report looks like, right? But it also allows me to adapt it for my students who really, really, really struggle with reading. So maybe instead of it providing my students, like those students, or maybe my English language learners or or whatever, like the entire article to read, I only assign them the abstract. They still get the core ideas and they can therefore still engage in a discussion or maybe answer some reading questions, but I've reduced the cognitive demand just by shortening it without, you know, doing a whole lot of work myself, without having to actually chunk out the text myself or eliminate pieces or anything like that. Um, And then I also love that the resources all come with a teacher's guide and there are usually some YouTube videos or like videos that can spark student interest and um, extend learning. So let's say I'm looking at like how can we make sure to catch only the fish we want to eat? Again, you have your article, you have your teacher's key. I do believe you might have to sign up for the teacher's key. I can't remember. I might just be signed in. Um, but there's a couple articles that you can, or I'm sorry, a couple of videos you can use to open before you read. Remember in the last episode I talked about, I, I stumbled across this study a really long time ago that kind of said you have to, ha- you have to have an understanding of a topic in order to truly read about a topic. So like trying to teach with the reading first when there's no prior knowledge to build on doesn't work so well. We have to have some sort of prior understanding to to build from, right? So a video can really help, might help establish some of that prior knowledge. Um, and it's obviously engaging, right? Because it's a video. So I love that you can open with a video and then dive into the text. There's also always some additional teaching resources that are linked below. Um, and these they, they're just drawing from all sorts of different places. Like there's some articles here on this, some links here on this article 
for the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institution. And there's like a bycatch design challenge. There's a link to teach engineering, hands-on activity, a link to the California Academy of Sciences about a sustainable fishing lesson plan. So there's a lot of like extensions that you could tie with this. So let's say you're like, I need to teach something about I I don't know, sustainability or something like that. And you're like, I don't I don't know what to do as a lesson. You could always go find the article, find the lesson that pairs with it, and then you have, you know, a two two-day lesson for the topic that you're looking for, right? So that is a very um valuable resource. And it, it helps, you know, those videos and those resource those activities can really cultivate some curiosity before they, your students dig into you know, what might be a more difficult task for, for many of them, which is reading. Um, so that's another great resource. Um, next on the list is Science News Explores. And this used to be called Science News for Students. This is an art, This is a resource that I actually do see teachers recommending a lot, so you might already know about this. And it was one of the first resources I discovered when I was looking for incorporating science current events and authentic science texts and really making that science research and writing accessible to students. So I really feel like um, Science News Explores is a great first stop for independent research or independent learning about core science concepts for your students. So let's say, you know, you want your students to do a kind of um, a student choice project on a topic related to the solar system or something. This might be a really good resource to point them to initially to find some to build some foundational knowledge and maybe find a topic of interest to them. So it's not just this like boring, flat, um, here's the solar system project, but it's something more interesting. Uh, but the Science News Explorers has these great little explainers and word of the week articles that that do that, that, that explain a core concept or provide some information about a science, some science vocabulary um, in a very like succinct little article. I also really like their Analyze This posts, and that that is something new that I, I don't know when they added, but it wasn't there when I remember using it last, um, which honestly was probably a while ago. But those are really cool opportunities to bring data and visualizations into your students' learning through and still incorporate that like real-world relevant context. So again, these materials make really great emergency subplans or extension activities, maybe like at a task for after students finish an exam or even a like one-off filler day assignments. You know, um, you're fi- you finish up a unit the day before a three-day weekend or something and you're like, I don't want to start it, you know, today and then whatever. Like you have just this space in your schedule and, and you want to use it in a meaningful way, but you obviously, maybe you're not ready to start the next unit or something like that. Or setting up a lab. You don't want to do it on a Friday. You want to wait till Monday, but you don't have anything for that topic. You can totally go in there and bring um, some sort of relevant article about your upcoming lab to, to, you know, build in those literacy skills and and so on and so forth. Um, you could even use it as an extended like bell ringer or warm-up activity because the great thing like the, the analyze this posts have questions already prepared so you can totally just like link it and go or print it and go and it's a little bit of a longer task than maybe like a three-minute bell ringer but it can still be that like opening activity type of task. So that is Science News Explores which is formerly was Science News for Students. 
So next on the list is plausible biology. Now maybe it's P-L-O-S-able biology. I don't know. I've been saying it plausible biology. I stumbled on this one last year and what I really love about it is there they have this introductory what's in the story section and it's written in a very conversational tone that's that's honestly accessible to all students. Um, it doesn't that like what's in the story section doesn't summarize the results like the abstracts in Science Journal for Kids, but it does outline the big questions that scientists were investigating and it lays a foundation for the rationale for their research. So I feel like they do a really good job of connecting to like why is this important argument. Um, so you know your students are asking like why is this important? It really sets a tone for why is this important. So let's say you are moving into a concept that your students are going to be asking that about. Maybe you find an article and maybe all you do is read that first section of what's in the story. Maybe you do the lesson and maybe you wrap up with like the research at the end. Um, I also love the authentic data that is incorporated into the text. So your students can actually see the real graphs and visualizations that your students, that the scientists used. And they may struggle to like really understand those graphics, but I think there's value in just exposing them to those materials because it goes beyond those simple line graphs and bar graphs that I remember in my K through 12 education. I feel like I didn't even know that like, I don't even know what they're called because, again, I was never really taught them. But um, the graphs that have the little, like, it's a bar graph and it's in the middle. And then there's a line that goes up to the top and a line that goes up to the bottom, <laughs> like, down to the bottom. And I, I don't even remember offhand what they're called because we don't use them in K-12 education. At least, I'm sorry, we don't use them in um, middle school education or even, like, I didn't really use them in my ninth or 10th grade classes. Um probably would use them in maybe higher level advanced classes. But anyway, I had no clue that 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 there were anything beyond a pie graph or a line graph or a bar graph. Um I feel like until probably I got to college. And then by that point they don't even like teach you, I don't know. I didn't have any classes where they taught me those specifically, although maybe I just didn't take those classes. Anyway, math is not my favorite. <laughs> math mathematics and computational thinking is not my favorite science and engineering practice and it's not my favorite um skill, I guess. But learning with that, learning these graphs with my students, as well as exposing my students to these different ways of communicating data, I think just having them see that is important. And I really like that these plausible biology articles show you that. The, the text itself helps you interpret the meaning of it, but it's cool that the data is like shown to students. Um, and they also have a lot of um, articles that are translated into different languages. I've never used that, but it's kind of a cool little feature. Uh, and then lastly, data nuggets. So data nuggets is literacy. It's also data literacy, right? So data nuggets, and you've probably heard of this. It's It's been around for a while. They've really expanded their collections over the years. Um, but they really, they present scientific investigations and then the data that scientists discovered. And it's a great opportunity for students to engage in planning and carrying out investigations without actually like spending a lot of time doing an investigation because maybe the topic is something that they can't investigate within the classroom or maybe you just don't have the time in your schedule this week or um, maybe it's like a long-term project that again you if you set it up now the results wouldn't be for like four weeks and you would be on the next unit like whatever sometimes there are time and material constraints that stand in the way so I'm not saying you shouldn't do hands-on experiments but like sometimes the reality is like we, we can't. So data nuggets are really awesome because 
Or, or like maybe you're teaching something in the winter and you would need to go outside to do it and you live in Pennsylvania where there's like four feet of snow. Um, so Data Nuggets has really good materials for that. What I really like is that um, students have the chance to actually analyze and interpret the data themselves instead of just reading what scientists actually thought. Each activity is categorized by a level, so you can search by middle school, high school, or even university level. Maybe you have some 12th grade AP students and you're pulling in the university level, or again, middle school, high school. And then within each level, this is really cool, the tasks are further differentiated. So I grab a middle school level, but I have three versions of the tasks, and maybe I give my students who have IEPs or are going to struggle a little bit more, the level, the lowest level, which I think is like A, and I give the other groups, or maybe it's... I can't remember which way it goes, but there's A, B, C. I give, you know, one group B, one group A, one group C. I've differentiated the task to the individual skills of my students. However, they are all still investigating the same research study, and so we can totally talk about it all together. They can talk with each other about it. It is not obvious that they have different tasks, especially if they are sitting in different groups, you know. They're not seeing each other's work anyway. And, um... And they're, and they're all engaging in the practice of analyzing and interpreting data or planning and carrying out investigations, but they're doing it at their, their level. So um, it's amazing. You don't have to do any extra work for that. Again, it makes a really good substitute plan. I have also used this. I, I've printed a couple copies or I've had some Google Classroom copies created for alternative assignments on lab days. So... In a previous episode, I shared, you know, I have like that class that sometimes can be challenging. And we have really made strides. I shared my update like two episodes ago, I think it was. And I don't, I I don't worry about it so much, but there's nothing wrong with having your backup plan ready. And I've been in, in environments where I'm like, this student, I might, I might have trouble with this student in this lab. And it's important that things stay under control when we are doing a lab, that we are being safe, that, um, that, that it's, it, you know, that those things are important. Behaviors, especially in a lab setting, are important. Um, so having an alternative task for if we can't handle this lab, we're, this is our backup plan. And I've used Data Nuggets to have that backup plan in, you know, available. I've also had Data Nuggets as an alternative assignment if a student maybe is serving like ISS or OSS or if a student is simply absent and it is not really a lab that I can have them make up because of the materials or just because of time or whatever. There's just not an opportunity for them to do that. Data Nuggets can fill in that gap and potentially give our students like the same, um, like a similar experience to that without, um, but it's something that they can complete outside of the lab setting. So I've also really liked to use data nuggets for that um, that approach. Um, so those are a few of my like favorite strategy, um, resources to incorporate um, literacy and, and to, u- to pair with text annotations, to um, find scientific text to bring into the classroom, um, and a couple of like the ways I like to use them. I hope you found this episode helpful. I will post the link to the blog post on the Ags for Science site that actually links to each of these resources. Um, and that way you can see like 
my little reviews are underneath it so you can remember, oh yeah, she was talking about this one and you know, you don't have to remember which one I was talking about. But the blog post is will be linked in the show notes so when you're actually looking for that resource, you can find it, you know, bookmark it, whatever. And um, yeah, so thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope it was helpful. If you want to continue, you know, learning and growing with me, I definitely want to encourage you to check out Spark Science as I've been sharing. There's some exciting new um programs coming in the spring or not spring in the winter in in January um, to spark where we will be just learning and growing together in um, some new and exciting ways and I I hope you'll just stay up to date on that and see if it is a good fit for you um, but definitely please check out those text annotation cards please check out these awesome science literacy resources um, bank them away for some sub days or alternative lab assignments or um, obviously just to bring in literacy into your classroom on the day-to-day and help develop our skill, our students' skills um, that they're going to need, right? So thank you so much for joining me, and I will catch you next week. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.